Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to John chapter 10. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 14 to 30 this morning. Uh, we've had a couple of topical series in, uh, in, our, in our church. The church's name is City Bible Church uh, over the yet past year and a half. But for the most part, we've been, we've been walking and going through the gospel of John. There's a lot that John is doing in this gospel, lots of imagery, lots of symbolism. Uh, there are themes that he's introducing and repeating many times. Actually, at the end of his letter, he tells us the purpose of writing. He says, I've written these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing, you would be saved. And so that is his, his intention. So if someone gives you their purpose at the end, it's like, oh, well, now that I know what, what I'm supposed to be looking for, then you should read it again. That's actually his purpose. He, he wants to have his letter read many times times. Now, we are, as a church are in John chapter 14, but I, I chose John, John 10 uh, for a few reasons. It, it serves as a kind of summary of Jesus' work and mission. It hits on what the Christian life is, and as we'll see, it even addresses the theme of mission, the, the theme of going, the, the, the theme of, of reaching the unreached. Now, we're jumping in the middle of a, of a chapter. Uh, and so we can't summarize fully, but what we need to know before we get into the text is that Jesus here is rebuking the religious leaders of the day. Uh, and in doing so, he is also revealing himself as, as the true leader, as the text shows, as the, as the true shepherd, the good shepherd. The leaders of the day weren't leading or they weren't shepherding God's people well. They, they were wicked. Um, and they were in leadership for their benefit. Uh, there are scriptures in the Old Testament where God is rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders of the day, by saying that you are, you are raising up these sheep not to care for them, not to tend to their needs, but for slaughter. You, you, you're in this business, if you will, for yourself. And, and so Jesus is, is rebuking them in this, this talk here that he's giving. You know, the, the imagery of sheep and, and of the shepherd is used a lot in the scripture. Uh, it, it's really a great picture of who we are of our need for someone to care for us, of our need for someone to lead us. There's a true story that whenever I think of a shepherd and the sheep, uh, I'm reminded of a story, a true story from about 15 years ago that took place in, uh, in eastern Turkey and this displays, I think, really well the, the, the neediness of sheep. In eastern Turkey, uh, it was, there's a story told, an account, that there were sheep that were untended for a while. The shepherd was napping or whatever the case was. And they just follow each other. They're just looking for food all the time. And so they're just looking and eating and eating. And they got close to a cliff. Uh, one sheep fell off the cliff. The other, sh other sheep just kept going. Two sheep, three sheep. There was 1,500 sheep that, that walked off this cliff. Um, just because they, they, they aren't able or capable to care for themselves. Now, I don't know if this is good news or, or funny or sad. Not all 1,500 died. Just the first third, 450 sheep, as the record shows, that died because the rest just kind of fell on top of fluffy, fluffy sheep. Uh, but that's, so you shouldn't be laughing. That's actually not nice. Um, but that's, that, that just displays, and I can't get that image out of my mind because we are needy people. We need God. We need a good shepherd because we could so easily be taken advantage of. In John chapter 10, uh, we find both marks of the good shepherd, marks of, of who Jesus is, and also marks of his sheep. 
there's some overlap. And again, I think we spent three weeks in John chapter 10, so this morning is just, just a, a brief summary because there's lots of symbolism. But as we look at our text, and I think you have a, a, a handout there that you could follow along as well, we're going to consider the five marks of God's people. Five marks of God's people. This isn't exhaustive. This isn't all the marks of what it means to be a Christian. But here in the text, we see five, I think, very important marks. And so look with me to verses 14 and 15 as we consider our first mark. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So our first mark is that God's people are a known people. God's people, so back there, that's great. We got to get up. You can pray for someone to be a clicker. We, we still have, we don't have PowerPoint going. Even though we have those TVs, but we don't have someone to just click the button. So we're praying for more people to come uh, and be part of the church. This will be a great person to fill. Um, now, God is all-knowing, right? So that means he knows everything about everyone. I think that's, that's good for us to remember, because we are such a private people, aren't we? We're, we are people that think we can, we can hide well or, or keep secrets. We, we, we sometimes even are good at it, so no one else knows what's happening. But God knows everything. It's not the case that we can keep anything from God. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we want to believe it, God knows everything. But the focus here isn't that just that Jesus knows things about us, but that he knows us. Now, this, this kind of experience, this kind of knowledge is, is, is personal. It's based on experience. Uh, and there are two really amazing things to point out here. First is that God's people are also able to know God. That's what the text says. That my sheep know me, right? This is something that we take for granted every day. That we can know, not only can know, but we are invited to know the God who created the universe. He's given us his word as a, as a way to reveal himself to us so that we can know him, not just know things about him, but that we would know him. And the second thing here to, to mention is that the same knowledge, the same relationship that Jesus has with his father is available to us. It's an, it's an incredible thing that we can know Jesus in the way that Jesus knows his Father. Again, this isn't that we would only know things about him, but that we can know him in a personal and in, in, in intimate way, to know something based on experience. I love the way that John Piper talks about this kind of knowing. He actually says that there's two kinds of knowing. Now, a person uh, can, can look at a jar that's filled with honey and, and know that it's honey based on its appearance, Right? You can tell it's a thick substance, it's brownish, it's kind of gold, it's sticky, right? So a person can, can know that, but this kind of knowledge is superficial. The scripture tells that the demons have this kind of knowledge of God. Now, the other way to identify honey is, is by taste. Right? If you've ever had honey, if you've ever had the experience of having a spoonful of honey, you can be blindfolded. And someone just gives you a spoon, and as soon as you taste it, you know it's honey. And this is the kind of knowing that God is inviting us to have. And this is the kind of knowing that what the scriptures say is that God's people have of God. Second, we'll see that God's people are a purchased people. 
God's people are a purchased people. And let me pick up from verse 15, um, and then we'll look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Then verses 17 and 18, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I received this command from my Father. Now, what is, what is Jesus talking about, this whole laying down his life? Well, for us to understand what Jesus is talking about and to understand what it means and how it is that we are purchased people, we need to know the gospel. You see, the, the gospel message begins with God, that God is the creator of all things. God is the ruler of all things. He's perfect and he is holy, which is, means that he's set apart in all of his ways from all people and all creation. Now, out of his love, he created humanity in his image. He provided everything for us. And, and most of you, I imagine, in, in a room this size, in a room here in Coronado, most of you probably know what happened next, whether you believe it to be true or not. But we know that in the middle of this perfect world where God pre- created everything, Adam and Eve sinned, or they, they fell. They doubted God. That's, that's really the root of that sin. It wasn't a temptation uh, for, for something better. Ultimately, it was that they didn't trust God at his word. We, and I say we because we are the same as, as, our, as our first father and mother, we didn't trust that he was good and that he was for us. Adam and Eve, just like us, wanted to rule themselves. And so they sinned against God by going against his word. Now, it may seem extreme to us, but the only appropriate and acceptable punishment for sinning against the holy God is death. Death is required, the scriptures tell us, but, but our lives aren't good enough to, to suffice. They're not sufficient for God's wrath. The scriptures tell us that God demands a perfect sacrifice, and we see glimpses of this throughout the Old Testament. When, when God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, he, he sent them clothed. Right? Remember before that, they, were, they, they weren't clothed. There's no sin. There was not, nothing inappropriate about it. They were just pure. But after the sin entered the world, they, they, they needed to be covered. They, they felt uh, embarrassed and ashamed of themselves, and, and rightly so. God covered them, the scriptures tell us in Genesis, that with, with the skin of animals. This shows us that death was required to cover. This is kind of the first glimpse of that. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, God spared Isaac's life, and, and he provided the necessary sacrifice himself. And throughout the entire Old Testament, the entire sacrificial system, they showed us two things. One, that death is necessary. And then the second thing is that our offerings aren't enough. That's why they did them year after year. That's why they had so many festivals where they had to present God with an offering. You know, I I imagine most of you don't know this, but but this weekend today, or last night, I kind of forget what the time, but this weekend... Uh, Muslims around the world are celebrating what's known as the Feast of Sacrifice. It takes place one month after the end of Ramadan. So they break a month of fasting with a big feast. And then really this is, in in many ways, it's a a greater feast a month afterwards. um, And it's a Feast of Sacrifice. Now they remember, they have a different account, but they remember the story of Abraham and how God spared his son. Now they believed it was Ishmael and not Isaac. And, and, And so... 
uh, in remembrance of that time of God sparing human life, they, they offer a sacrifice. This is taking place this weekend all around the world. Now, in their un- understanding, God doesn't require a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But the Bible is clear that He does. And there's only one acceptable sacrifice to God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He has laid down his life for us. No one took it from him. He laid it down on his own. There's a beautiful implication here. This is where we get our point. That we are not our own. By purchasing us with with, with his blood, we belong to him. We are his And because we're his, because we identify with him, what happened to him happened to us. Now, this is is the message of the gospel. This is why we call it the good news. Because the good news is that there is nothing that we can do or hope to do to earn God's love. There's nothing that we can do or attempt to do to make things right with God. But Jesus did what was necessary. He died in our place. Skip down a little bit to verse 28. Look what Jesus says there. He says, I give them eternal life. How how can he do that? Well, Jesus, if we're studying through the Gospel of John, we would see this in John chapter 5 specifically. But he has life within himself, and so he's able to give us life because he has that life. And not only life, not only is he offering just any sort of life, but in John 10, we see that he's offering eternal life. He's offering abundant life. Another way we can translate that word eternal is is a deep and lasting life. Right? Because most of us, when we think of everlasting life or eternal life, we're thinking of a time span. We're just going to live forever. But who cares about living forever if that life sucks? I've never said that word from the pulpit. Um, But but I've... (laughs) That's, uh, sorry about that, if that did offend anyone. Um, something about all the, the casualness here in the, in, the, in, the, in the church in Coronado being by the beach. But, but truly, what, what's the purpose of a life that's long if it's miserable? But we have deep life. It's not only in length, but height and depth. That's kind of what, what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at in Ephesians. We can't, we can't measure. We can't, we can't measure. And that's, that's what Christ has given to us. You see, the beauty and the power of the gospel is that all we must do is to believe that this is true. And and throughout the gospel of John, we're reminded that anyone can believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter your background, your family name, where you were born, where you grew up, what you do, what you've done. Anyone can believe. And the scripture is clear. That's why we're going through the gospel of John. It's it's so, so beautiful and so powerful, so simple. If you're hungry, you can go to Jesus as the bread from heaven. If you're thirsty, you can come to Jesus who can offer you living water. Let's look at the third mark. God's people are a drawn people. God's people are a drawn people. What I mean by that is that God draws people to himself. The scriptures are clear that no one can come to God on their own. No one can come to the good shepherd on their own will. We're we're all spiritually dead. We have no ability to revive ourselves. I don't, I don't know if you, if you watch crime shows um, or, or anything. If you ever seen someone in an emergency room and they're trying to revive them, you never see a person just take whatever those paddles are and try to revive themselves. They're dead. They have no ability. Someone else has to give them life. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me 
unless the Father draws them. No one can see their need for forgiveness. No one can even recognize their sin unless God reveals that to them. So how does this work? When someone senses their need, when someone becomes burdened by that sin, what we can say is that that is a work of the Spirit. That is a work that God has drawn to convict us of sin. Of sin, excuse me. And that's why the gospel must be preached everywhere to all people. It's the same message, both to the believer and to the non-believer, that we must confess, that we must repent, we must put our faith in Christ. The gospel is the power of God to save. Look with me to verse 16. Jesus says, But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, this direct interpretation here is, is Jesus just kind of uh, classifying between the old, test, uh, sorry, the old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? That salvation is no longer for the Jews alone. It's available to all people. That's directly what we see here. And as the good shepherd, Jesus is going to go after those people to bring them to be with him. It's kind of a direct, straight reading. But how does he do that? Through his people. This is why we're in Lebanon. We believe that God has people who belong to him there that need to hear the gospel. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, a passage many of you are familiar with, I'm sure, that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't that give us such hope and such confidence? Then he kind of works through it, which I love. It's, just, it's very logical. So how can they believe if they don't hear? Or how can they hear if no one tells them? Well, how, how will someone tell them unless they are sent? Then it goes on to say how beautiful are the feet of those who go, right? Those people who are sent. Now, I, I love and have been very impacted by the way that uh, a Scottish preacher from the 1800s said it. Um, it's important to throw in a quote from a dead, dead theologian just uh, to, to uh, have people uh, follow along. But this is a, really a, a powerful verse. Uh, Horatius Bonar, sorry, a powerful uh, quote. He says this. What a mystery. The soul and eternity of one man depends upon the voice of another. Let me say that again. He, he says, what a mystery that the soul and the eternity of one person depends upon the voice of another. Now, we are there in the hope that God will call his people to himself, and so we preach the gospel. That is our hope. Now, we're also there with the confidence that God has people who will respond to that call when they hear it. Our prayer, and I pray that you would, you would pray with us that God would continue to draw people to himself. Let's keep moving on. Fourth mark this morning. In our text, we see that God's people are a believing people. God's people are a believing people. Now, someone could argue, maybe you would want to argue this, that, that all people are believing people. And I would agree with you, right? Because everyone believes in something. Whether you believe in God or, or a God of sorts, you believe in nature, you believe in science, you believe in yourself, right? Many have said that as long as you believe in something, that's all that matters. That's what's important. But listen to this. Vague belief in a vague God doesn't save. Even true belief in a false God doesn't save. 
that's something that actually breaks our hearts to see people as, as much as they can with all that they know serving a false god. You see, even the power of the Christians believing isn't the amount of their belief or, or the strength of their belief, but the power is in the object of our belief. Right? It's the, the object of our faith. It's not that if I have a lot of faith, then, then God will accept it. But if I place my faith in Jesus, that object of our faith is what saves. That's the power of belief. Look at verses 26 and 27. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, can remember, me, remember with me that Jesus is speaking to religious leaders, and he's telling them that they don't believe because they're not a sheep. Deep theology there, which we're not going to cover this morning. And so what we can imply here is see that, that God's people do believe, right? If you're not God's people, you don't believe. Therefore, God's people do believe. That's where we get this point. Now, if someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to believe? I think we have a beautiful reference here to point them to. Listen, know, and walk. What does it mean to be a Christian? Listen, know, and walk. We see that here in these verses. Now, I know verse 27 says that we're to follow him, so I'm kind of changing, changing that to say walk. And of course, that's a huge part of the Christian life, right? That we're to follow Jesus. That's, that's what we've done. That's what you're saying, Pastor Jim, to, to the children. Whenever someone kind of tries to honor us more than I think they should because we have gone, I just tell them we're just following Jesus, and that's just where he's led. Yeah. When they ask, what are you doing? We're doing the exact same thing we would have done in, in, in San Diego or in Arkansas or anywhere. We're hoping to plug into the local church. Hoping to share the gospel with those who don't know the gospel. We're hoping to want to disciple younger men, Marcy, younger women who, who want to grow in their faith. So the idea is following. We see that. That's important. But the image here, again, the depth of, of God's word isn't only to follow behind, but to walk with. And so as we live our life, we are walking with Jesus. It's, it's a picture of us walking as he walks. It's such a wonderful description of the Christian life to listen, to know, and to walk. Because believe is just a, it's a, it's a religious term. It doesn't mean much anymore. Faith is even a religious term. But so what does it mean? Listen, know, and walk. This is what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And I think even though it's a bit confusing, this, this is why some people say, oh, Christianity is not a religion. It's, it's a relationship, right? You might have said that. That's okay. I think it makes sense. Because what we understand religion to say is do this. And don't do that. Right? Doesn't that summarize religion? Do these things, but avoid those things or those people. Well, what Jesus says is, listen to my voice. Know me. Walk with me. Now, this believing isn't something that a Christian looks back at as something that they once did. The, the, the question is, and always will be, is are you believing now? Imagine a room this size. Many of you have maybe made a decision or, or prayed a prayer or have thought to one time when someone says, are you a Christian? Yeah, of course, when I was... And you have, you have your, your response, don't you? But if someone were to ask you, prove to me you're alive, you don't say, oh, I got to call my mom and find the birth certificate to prove that I was once born so I can show this person. No, you say, look at me. You describe your life, right? I'm, 
I'm speaking. First of all, you say, what a crazy question. No one's ever asked me that. And then you answer. You say, I'm, I'm talking to you, right? Have you ever seen a dead person talk? Do you, I'm breathing. Do dead people breathe, right? You show them your life as it is there. For some reason, it's gotten to the church and to believers' lives. We have to look back to a time, to a thing. No, are you alive now? I think we have to stop and ask ourselves, is this an accurate description of our Christian life? If you are a believer, are you someone that you can say, I know Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. I listen to his voice through his word. If it is, praise God. And I rejoice with you. And we should rejoice because this is a beautiful thing. Now, if it isn't, Friends, this isn't a light matter. This is a matter of life or death. And so you need to order yourselves to, to, to ask that question, to be able to answer that question. Look to God's word. Look into your life. Have other people examine your life. I think, again, there's a temptation in the Christian life because it is personal that we think it's private. That's not true. The Christian life is not meant to be private. It's, it's very personal. It's very intimate, but it's a corporate thing. So ask other people, do you, look into my life. Am I, am I walking? As, have I grown since you first met me three years and 33 days ago? Or am I, am I in, a, in a worse place? We need each other. Again, this is a matter of eternal life and death. And so we see that God's people are a believing people. Now the last thing to mention is number five. God's people are a secure people. God's people are a secure people. Look with me to verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, as I read that, even Pastor Jim, you might say, there's four sermons in those two verses. And so, so bear with me as we, as we kind of cover it in, in four minutes. But we just read that Jesus gives eternal life, right? And so now he's adding depth to that claim. He's giving reasons. What, what does that mean to have eternal life? He tells us here. He, he says the words, never perish, and that we won't be snatched out. We are secure because we will never perish. Well, how, how can that be? How can we never perish? Look, we know that Jesus has life within himself because he is one with the Father. Again, John chapter 5 is, is, the, is the chapter to study to understand this because he says not only does Jesus has, have life, but God the Father has granted him to be able to give life. Not only will he judge, but he also has the ability to give life. And again, remember with me, because we are in Jesus, what happens to him happens to us. And so since he has been raised from the dead and he will never perish, that means that you and I will never perish. Not because of our works or our hopes or our anything, but because we are united to Jesus. What happens to him happens to us. And if we were studying through the Gospel of John, the force of this statement, what Jesus just said here, is going to build to an exclamation point in the next chapter as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So he says, says things like, that's amazing, but how is that possible? Then they see a dead person who was 
stinketh, right? Is that, is that the official language? I think he, he was dead so long that he started to smell. He brings them back to life. And, and not only that, will it continue? The climax of Jesus' ministry is the death and resurrection on the cross, right? So Jesus is, is putting not only depth, but, but proof to his claims. Look at this other phrase that he uses. No one will snatch them out. Now, this is similar to, to never perishing, but it emphasizes a difference. And, and, and we see this as important because he, he says it twice. He repeats that phrase twice. No one will snatch them out. Now, first, let's consider how this is true and then what it means for us. I mean, this can be true because Jesus and the Father are one. And there's no one greater than the Father. No one's going to go and muscle God out, right? No, no one's going to say... If someone did, then, then God's not God, and so our whole faith has fallen apart. But if we believe that God is God, there's no one stronger. He is all-powerful, and so, so no one can snatch us out because we are secure in His grip. Now, what does it mean for us? Friends, brothers and sisters, this gives us peace and assurance of our salvation. We can rest fully in Him, and we can live a life based on that truth. One of the songs that we love to sing at City Bible Church uh, is, is titled, He Will Hold Me Fast. I don't know if you know it, if you're singing here, let me just uh, sh- not sing. I won't sing the first verse. I'll just read the first verse or attempt to read it without any sort of melody. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast friends it's only in the Christian faith that someone could have full assurance of their salvation to the outside world sometimes it seems arrogant how do you know because God is real because what Jesus has done is true not because of anything I've done when you invite them to look at your life. We can have full assurance of our salvation because it's by Christ's righteousness that we are saved and not by our own works. Friends, this is the message that we are called to proclaim. And this morning, if, if you don't know this truth, I, I hope that you will leave knowing this truth because it, it's that simple. If you believe these words, then, then God is, is tugging on your heart. That is, that is Him that is drawing you. You, you can never uh, feel guilty for sin on your own. You might have kind of a, a temporary earthly remorse, but, but if you are sensing something that you've never sensed before, that is, that is God. And now we rejoice in that. Respond to that call. Now, if you know this truth, my prayer for you and for myself and for, for our church and for this church is that, that this truth will continue to transform us. And, and as you are being transformed into the image, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that God would be glorified. Amen? Let me pray towards that end. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that you have made yourself known to us that you desire to know us and that you invite us to know you. Father, I pray for those who call themselves as, as your sheep, Lord, that you would do this the transforming work in their lives, Lord, that they would continue to draw closer to you, not farther, Lord, at times that they would resist the temptation uh, to, to go to that, the edge of the cliff, Father God, and they would just would stay as close as they can to you. 
Father God, this morning, that you would save those who are your people that have not yet called on your name, that they would know Jesus, that you would save them and that you would be glorified. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are so kind. We thank you for these truths, and we, and we pray that you would be glorified in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as the praise team leads us in an invitation? This is your opportunity. Say, so what in the world? I, I don't know what you're doing right now, preacher. This is your opportunity to respond. Here's a, here's a man and a woman who God called to go to Beirut, Lebanon. Now God called them home for this meeting today. You are here today. This message was for you today. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to come. We'll talk to you about the Lord. My wife is right down here, ladies, and Rachel's right over here. I'm up here, guys. If, if you need to talk to someone, someone to pray with you, whatever commitment, whatever decision you need to make, John, if, if you would go to the back, right back there. Uh, guys, John will be right back there. As they sing, come on right now and do what God would have you to do. Respond to the gospel message as he calls you. You can be, he can be, he knows you, so respond to him as they sing. help you with whatever decision you need to make for Christ after the service. We'll be glad to help you. I'm available. John's available. My wife's available. Rachel and others are available here to help you. Continue to pray for Mr. Dill, for a little boy named Easton. Uh, Marwan and Marcy, would you mind going to the back door and greet people as they leave? So thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank you for that message from the Word of God, we appreciate that so very much. A couple of announcements and we'll be dismissed. Check the bulletin for the weekly announcements next Sunday. Going to be preaching on David's last will and testament. David's last will and testament. Hope you'll be here for that. Uh, in this offering envelope, in this offering envelope, my wife and I have our donation for two chairs. We're getting new chairs. These chairs are being called to the mission field of Tijuana, and they will be going south uh, to, to hopefully uh, be a place where people can congregate 
and know, come to know Christ as a personal Savior. And we're getting some new chairs, $65 a piece. If you can help and if you want to help, this does not mean that you can reserve your chair. All right? Just want to emphasize that. Doesn't mean if someone comes in and sits in it that you go to them and say, that's my chair. You need to get out of it. This is just to help defray the expenses. So if you want to help out, $65 a person uh, a seat, that would be a great help. Visitors, thank you so much. Don't forget to drop your, uh, your visitor cards in the visitor box in the back, and members, put your tithes and offerings there. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful and grateful for your calling in our lives. And, Lord, I pray that every one of us, each one of us, would realize that we're all missionaries, that we're all called to serve you. We're all called to go somewhere, to preach the gospel, to teach people, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I pray for these uh, friends who are in Beirut. I pray, God, for us right here in Coronado. I pray for missionaries that this church supports. And thank you for the willingness of your people to go. Now, as we leave this place, God send us forth as missionaries to our neighborhoods, to our places of business, to our schools, that we would take Christ with us and show him to others. May he draw them to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today.